Welcome to the Underground Podcast, a weekly teaching from the 20 service at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. Stay tuned for ways to connect with our ministry following the message. Okay, so in case you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been gone a few weeks and you haven't been kind of tracking with us, two things. First, I want to remind you what we're doing, and then second, catch you up a little bit in the story, and then we're going to dive into the, uh, and how many of you were here last week? Okay, you got to hear this like setup moment, and then we just stopped. It was awesome. It was so great. Uh, hopefully you didn't read ahead. I kind of hope you did, but it doesn't really matter. Whatever happened, this is where we are right now. So first thing, we're, we're doing this series called Baywatch, which is super weird and corny and all the above. But the idea is your bay is your before anyone else, okay? And so the idea is we're essentially talking about relationships, but instead of just doing a topical study and going through all the random questions and how you can date better and all that stuff, we just thought, hey, this story, this love story of Ruth and Boaz is so good, and it can help us along the way learn and understand characteristics and principles about being in a relationship, in particular stepping into a relationship. And so that's what we've been looking at, the love story of Ruth and Boaz. And and one thing I've said every week, and I'll say it again, when we say you're before anyone else, we're talking about your human relationships because God has always got to be number one, period. Okay, everyone get that? If you haven't written that down in, in one of these four weeks, you need to write it down right now. Okay, it's God above everything else, but as far as your human relationships, okay, the person that you marry will be the most intimate human relationship that you have, period, even more so than your parents, okay? And so it is important that we look at this carefully and strategically and biblically so that we can walk through this in a way that can be healthy and also helpful. And so the story, the love story of Ruth and Boaz help us to do all of that. Now, a couple of just bullet points on the story so far. Okay, it's a great story. All right, this is a movie and action, and just wait till tonight. You're gonna see it's it's so good. Um, but anyways, we'll start at the beginning. All right, so we know there's these two people. Let, let me help me with some names. Okay, who are the two ladies? Who are our key females? Anybody remember? Ruth and Naomi. Okay, so. Naomi is the mother-in-law of Ruth, okay? So long story short, both husbands die, okay? They're poor, they're broke, they're hungry, so they head back to Naomi's hometown, all right? And, and as they get there, okay, we're moving quickly, Ruth is gonna head out into the field. She's gonna do what we call glean. Glean is a, a process that God had set into the Old Testament to help those that were less fortunate or what we would call the marginalized to be able to still have an ability to get their own food. It was essentially like we would help those that are homeless or are poor, but it was a way for them to get help, but by doing it by doing it their own work so they would go into the fields and they would work so she's working in the fields and it just so happens that she lands in a field by the name of Boaz Boaz is the owner the owner of the field is Boaz or the manager of the field so there begins this encounter best we can tell through the scriptures there's no real dating or love-like relationship yet maybe some interest but at this point it's been a healthy just observation from afar now We move forward to last week, and all of a sudden, Naomi decides to send Ruth out on a mission, right? And if you remember, if you just read chapter 3 and don't understand it, it gets a little cray-cray, all right? And some people still don't know how to process that, but I think we, we walked through that carefully last week. But basically, Naomi says, Ruth, it's time. It's time to make a move, all right? Now, ladies, let me just tell you, advice in biblical times isn't always good advice right now, all right? So culturally speaking... This wouldn't be good advice. Now, biblically speaking, okay, our advice is pretty solid. But culturally, when you understand the culture, you realize 
it's probably not a good idea, ladies, to just roll up to some dude's house to lay under his covers and, uh, and introduce yourself with it. Just don't do that, okay? So culturally, we can understand. If you weren't here last week, I apologize. You're very confused. You should definitely go back and listen to the message because we don't have time to go over it again. But all that to be said, what has happened is Ruth has essentially made known to Boaz that she uh, would love for him to be what we would call this kinsman redeemer, all right? Now, you've heard this every week, and it's because it's the most important thing, and it's going to really come to life tonight. So the kinsman redeemer was another biblical set-in-motion uh, standard, and the idea was that if a man were to die and leave a wife or land, property, or family, all right, land, property, people, any form of that, then the next male in line, typically the brother, would be able to step in and to purchase all of that land and also would take in that childless widow. If it was a childless widow, it would take, her, take him in as her wife. And the idea was so that the family name could continue while also the land could stay within the family. We'll come back to that in just a second. So essentially where we are is Ruth has made known. And then the end of our story last week, what happened? Boaz starts to speak to her, and we're getting excited. We're thinking this could be the moment. They're about to, to set this thing off, all right? It's about to get lit. Just kidding. Um, and then Boaz says, there's someone else that would be in line for this kinsman redeemer in front of me. And now maybe if you don't understand culture, you're like, okay, whatever. But if you understand culture, you go, oh, my goodness, what a bust. Because this was going to be so good. I mean, people might be talking about this years later in a place like underground. And where we left was Boaz letting her know that we're going to have to see what happens. And so that's where we'll pick up tonight. Are you ready? Okay. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hang tight. This is going to get good. All right. Here we go. Chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. Let me pause just quickly. The gate would be the front of the town, and this is where all of the, the kind of officials would hang out. We could, in a loose sense, say this is kind of like a courthouse, okay? So remember, he was, he had high, he was, um, he had, was an affluent man. He had good money and had a good status. And so hanging with officials and people that were significant in the town was a normal practice for him. So he's up at the gate, and now he, there's a strategy here. We'll look at it in a minute. So he's up at the gate. And here's what happens. So he sits up at the gate and he sat down. And behold, ready for this? The Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Pause. Did you catch this? He left Ruth that night say, or that morning saying, listen, you got to go and we'll see what happens. But there is somebody in line. We, we got to give him a chance. And then here comes this guy. All right, you catching the story? So all of a sudden, this dude shows up on the scene. So what happens? And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. Verse 2. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Okay, now, now just, just pause for a minute and think about this. All right, we're waiting to see what's going to happen. And I think if, if you've been tracking with the story, you're kind of hoping that this dude won't show up so Boaz can step in, marry her, and we have a wonderful love story, right? Well, here comes the dude, all right? Now, he doesn't know he's a problem yet, but he's a problem because he's in the way of Boaz completing our story that we are so excited about. You guys should smile a little bit more. It's okay. The Bible's good. Anyways. Now, I wanted to show you this because I, I think it's important that you really understand God's heart behind this idea of this kinsman 
Redeemer. And so if, if you want to turn in your Bibles or use your light-up Bibles, a.k.a. your phones, you can do this. But I want to show you two parts of this Kinsman Redeemer and essentially where it comes up in Scripture. This won't be on the screen. I add this kind of last minute. But first, let's look at Leviticus 25. If you, if you want to turn, no, you can, or you can just listen to me read. Leviticus 25, 24 sets the standard or the first part of this idea of the Kinsman Redeemer. I want you to listen to these words. These words would have been made known to all of these people. So everyone understood this. We're having to train ourselves because we're not familiar with this idea. But in this time, people were very aware of these laws. And here's what it was. Leviticus 25, verse 24 says this. And in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, we'll add in their death. But if he becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer, okay, the male closest to him, shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it, then himself becomes and his and himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem redeem it. Let him calculate the years since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it and then return to his property. Okay. Now, why are we reading this? Because here's the thing. God created the kinsman redeemer because land and family name were so significant in biblical times. Your land was everything. And God was creating a provision for people that went through tough times or at worst lost their life to be able to keep their land and their family name intact. It was honorable to keep that in the family. So God creates this provision to help your land, if something were, God forbid, to happen to you, to be able to stay in process. Then we move to Deuteronomy 25, uh, 25.5, I believe, yes. 25.5, and it says this. Now this is the second wave. If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duties of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So God's making this secondary provision, which is about keeping the family name. The brother's name would be passed down to the son. Therefore, like mine, the herald name can continue on. All right. This was a massive deal in the scriptures. So massive that look what happens if you don't do it. This is important for our story. Verse 7. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate of the elders. Remember, the gate is the same gate that Boaz would be at, symbolically the same area. Go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duties of a husband's brother to me. Verse 8, then the elders of his city shall call to him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then, listen to this, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, pull off his sandal of his foot, spit in his face. Y'all still listening? And she shall answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. And some of you are going, what in the world is happening? Listen, this is how significant. I, I can't 
tell you it without showing you how significant it was to people in the Bible that your land and your family name would continue on in the family. God also, essentially what God said through those two passages is it is honorable to take care of your family and particularly a woman or a widow like this that was close to you. God was setting this standard to help people be able to hang on to what was most important. Do you see this? So this is the idea of the kinsman redeemer. Okay, no more history, but I needed to set the framework because it will bring our story to life when we get to the end. Are you guys still awake? All right, I'm trying to teach you to really appreciate your Bible right now. Okay. Let's jump back into Ruth 4 now. We understand Kidsman Redeemer. Boaz sits this guy down, and let's see what happens. Verse 3. Then he, Boaz, said to the Redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to her relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here, all these witnesses, and in the presence of the elders of my people. Listen carefully. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Pause. This would have been a home run for this man. He walks into town. A man that he may or may not have realized who it was, probably did because Boaz knew who he was. So a distant relative invites him over. Hey, come sit over here. We got all of our officials. Y'all are the witnesses and the officials. Hey, come, come have a seat with me. He says, listen, Naomi, another distant relative, probably was familiar with her name. Naomi's husband passed away. She has this land. You are the next in line. You are the redeemer, the redeemer of the land. He says, listen. Naomi and this land are waiting for you. They are available for you. You should purchase it. You see, hear what he said? You should purchase it. And so this man looks at it, and he's probably thinking this. What a deal. Okay, because in this moment, they're not selling it at its highest price. They're selling it pennies on the dollar. Okay, this would be like someone, hey, I got a mansion. You just pay about apartment price, and it's all yours. Okay, this is a steal of a deal. But on top of that, this would have given him more things to be able to offer to his children as they grew up and as he left them an inheritance. He is building his wealth, and all he had to do was show up to town, sit down. There's one little exception, and that is that there would be this woman, Naomi, but it was just one lady. She was, a, a, she was an, too old to childbear, right? So there were going to be no kids coming out of Naomi. So really, it would have been a minor expense to take care of this distant relative, but he would have gained all of this property. Boaz has set up a slam dunk home run, and what does the guy say? Absolutely, I will take it. I will redeem it. I will buy this land. And in his mind, he's thinking, this is a home run. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine, y'all are going to play along with me. Let's just say you two are Ruth and Naomi. Now, we don't know, okay, but the Bible doesn't tell us if they were there in this moment. Okay, but we're going to have a little fun in the white spaces and, and think that they might be watching from afar. So Ruth and Naomi are back here. Okay, congratulations. It's going to be a good night. All right, so Ruth and Naomi are back here, and all of a sudden, they're listening to Boaz say, hey, here's this property. It's a great deal. You're next in line. You should take it. And they're thinking, Boaz, you could have set that up a lot differently. That sounds like a home run. How, why would you say that? And then what does the man say? I will do it. 
Sounds like a great investment. Can you imagine what they're feeling right now? It's over. We were thinking this could happen. We were hoping God would move and not let these moments happen. And yet, here we go, dumb Boaz. I guess he didn't really want us. I guess he was done with us. I guess he's moved on, sets this up, and the guy says, I'll do it. Listen, our story's over. Do you catch this? The love story's over. It's done. But, verse 3, verse 5. Then Boaz said, I'll add this. Oh, by the way, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Now, some of us are like, I wish you could have read a translation that was so much easier to understand. Listen, he just said one minor detail, forgot to let you know, nameless man, by the way, there's a point there that he wasn't named, nameless man, um, you're going to get all that, but you also get Ruth, the Moabite. Y'all remember this? What was a Moabite? A Moabite was from that godless place that God did not dwell in. They were not the people of God. In fact, they came from a line that was created out of incest. They were known as a people that no one wanted anything to do with. And so he says, hey, when you get this, you're also going to get that woman that's poor and been working in the field and comes from the line that was created out of incest, but it's going to be a deal. You got it. And then she said, he says, oh, and by the way, uh, she's going to be one that you'll be able to keep her family name going on through. What does that mean? You're going to need to have a kid because that was part of the stipulation we just read. You're going to need to have a boy with her so that the family name of Elimelech can move on. So it's not a big deal, just a minor, small, minor detail. You're going to need to take all the things that you own in your property, and you're going to have to now divide it out through her son as well. But hey, no big deal, right? Good investment. Do you see what Boaz did? He is a genius, absolute genius. He didn't lie. He just laid it out slowly. So what's going to happen? It's kind of like, it's kind of like when you, you probably never did this because y'all are all perfect kids. Uh, it's kind of like when you come home, you know you're in trouble so you make up this like crazy story when you were a kid. Man, like, and, and this happened, then you're like, no, mom, I'm just kidding. I actually just got expelled for one day. And you're thinking that mom's going to like, oh, my goodness, thank you that you didn't go thrown in jail. You just got expelled for one day. No big deal. Or hype it up, and then you lower it down. I kind of think of it like that moment. None of y'all did that, so you can't relate. I get it. I did it all the time. Still didn't work, but whatever. So what's going to happen? Let's read. I'll move, I'll move faster because I'm going too slow. Verse 6. Then the redeemer, here's the man, then he said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Just like that. Boom. He said, look, you know what? You and I are sitting here. You're obviously interested because we're having this conversation. This is going to mess up everything I was going to give to my kids. This is going to mess up. And, of course, he's using nicer words. This is really, and sorry they're listening in the background. This is going to mess everything up for me. Why don't we do this? 
Why don't you take care of this? You redeem it. You go ahead and take it, Boaz. It sounds like a great deal for you, right? You pitched it to me as a great deal. Why don't you take it for yourself? Just like that, the story flipped. All of a sudden, we're back on. Oh, this is looking good. Is Boaz going to do it? I think he's going to do it. He's done everything else right. Here we are in this moment. And so they're sitting in front of all these witnesses. I'm not going to stop and explain this, but let me read it to you so we can hear the whole story play out. Verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, we want this to be legal. We want to make sure this is legit. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witnessing this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Those were the husbands. Verse 10, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Ah, you guys. I don't think you understand what is happening right now. He just gave the greatest proposal speech ever. He said, you know what? I'm going to take her just as she is. I want her. And I want everything that comes with her. I will keep the family name alive. We will keep the land in the family. But more importantly, I want her. You know what? Sounds to me just like a proposal, doesn't it? Right? He doesn't get down on a knee and go, I think I want you, but let's figure it out, right? No. When he gets on a knee, he's essentially laying down everything that he is, all his freedom. I mean, just kidding. He's laying down. <laughs> he's laying down everything that he is because he wants to give it to her. I want you to be mine and I want to be yours, right? The most humble of places on a knee. And he makes this speech and says, I'm going to do it. And now we... Now, we don't know if they were sitting in the audience, but if they were, how do y'all feel? Pretty amazing. I don't know if you were going to be rude, but y'all know you took Ruth. You just kind of took that character over. I can see tears coming down her face. I mean, this is the moment she got proposed to without even getting proposed to. That's what just happened. And then it goes on. We'll just read it quickly. Verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, ooh, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in the Ephrathite and, by renowned, and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. They pray a blessing over them. They say, we are witnesses to this. They are watching the love story unfold, and they are saying, wow, we hope the future for you is bright, just as bright as we have ever seen. And they're praying this blessing over them. This is moments happening. I really hope y'all were there. I really do, because you missed this moment. If not, this is so good. And he lays all of this down. And these people are celebrating. They are bought into this moment. They are bought into this story. That's why when you propose, it's good to be alone in case they say no. But it's awesome if everybody's there to celebrate with you. This is what it's like. Some of you are like, write that first one down. That was good, just in case. Just in case. All right. So verse 13, 
So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife and he went into her. Yes, they had sex. And the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Now, isn't this interesting? We've had four chapters leading up to this moment. And in one sentence, it's all done. (laughs) Boom, married, kids, moving on. Unbelievable. We'll come back to that in the end. Wow, God, thank you for a great lesson. We will write this down at the end. But listen, she bore a son. She bore a son. Remember what it said, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. There has to be a son so that the family name can carry on. And just as God said, he delivered. Then verse 14, only a few more verses. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day. So here's all her friends gathered together without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned. They're talking about the baby. May his name be renowned in Israel. Listen to these words, guys. He shall be to you a restorer of life. Remember, she was bitter and angry. This child's going to be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. You could have had seven firstborn sons and it wouldn't have mattered. This is a special, special moment you were experiencing. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. She's going to end up taking care of this child being part of the family, not from a distance. That'll be good for you later on when you're older. Verse 17, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. This is so cool, Obed. This is so cool. Mom didn't even name the child. Her friends did. I love this if I'm one of the friends, right? This is awesome. And so, and and here's, here's what's happening, guys. There is this community now rallying around this couple. This is amazing. Everybody is so excited. Listen, I meant to say this at the end, but I'm just going to say it now. When you get married one day, I hope, I really hope for you that your, your wedding place, however big or small it is relevant, is packed with people that are excited you're getting married. And I can tell you I've been a part of a lot of weddings in a lot of different ways. It's not always the case. There are many that people are there for the free meal and to make sure they're seen having been there. But if you were to ask them what they thought about this in real life, they'd have said, hmm, this is a mistake, mistake from the beginning. But hey, their money, we'll just enjoy the food. Listen, I hope that's not your story. And, and let this be just a glimpse of what this could look like. These, this community is bought into this moment. So much so they got the name of the kid. We'll, we'll leave that up for debate at your, your discretion. But what a moment. What a moment. So you, you, have this, you have this thing now. Can everybody, I want you to lean in for just a second. You have this moment, right? It, it's kind of like it finally happened. The love story took place. The guy met the girl. You weren't sure, right? Took an hour and 60 minutes to see if they were actually going to make it or not. And finally, they they make it at the end. The guys are like, we don't watch these movies. We don't know. They actually usually make it at the end. There's some great epic kiss, right? And and this this moment's happened. And the friends and the family, they're crying. and Everything's just great. And you're you're sitting there at the movie theater. And you're like, this was good. This was real. And you're looking, you punch your whoever's with you. You're like, that was, that was a good movie. And, it, and the curtain closes, right? Or, or the, the credits start to roll. And as the credits are rolling, it turns from a rom-com 
to a Marvel movie. And as the credits are rolling, right in the middle, they just stop. And the screen goes black. And all of a sudden, another scene comes on. Y'all know what I'm talking about? (laughs) And you're like, dude, I told you to stay. Anyways. What is about to happen, right? There's going to be some connection to a sequel or to another movie, right? If you're a Marvel fan, you know this. If you don't, you're like, just roll with it. And you're like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? They usually disappoint, but that's okay. This one won't. And so you're like, here it is, an epic scene. One more. We thought it was over. It was already good. But here we go. There's one more. And look what happens. Mm, this is good. <laughs> he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, hold on. Let's keep going. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Just roll with it. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Okay, now wait a minute. Did anybody recognize some of those names? Why they kind of sound familiar. Even if you don't read your Bible a lot, which used to fix that starting today, but even if you're kind of like, I, I, I think I, I kind of remember, I might remember some of these names. And so it reminds me of a place. I just want to read this to you. You don't have to turn there, but you could if you had a Bible. If it's on your phone, I won't tell you how to get there. Just listen. Um, there's this book. It's a book we call Matthew. It's in the New Testament there. It's the first book, actually, in case you were wondering. And if you go into this particular place, If you go into this particular place, you open up the the book of Matthew, and you start at the beginning, you start to read this thing, and and what you see is this thing we call a genealogy, right, which is a list of a bunch of names, and if you're in a reading plan, you're like, awesome, I get a free day because I don't have to read them because nobody cares. And you look in here, and you go, okay, now wait a minute, now if I start at the end of verse 3, it says, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nation. And you're like, this is the exact same thing we just read in the book of Ruth, but now we're in the New Testament. This is awesome. So we get to the end, verse 6, and it says, and Jesse was the father of David, the king. So then we go, well, let's just see what happens. Let's just keep reading. Let's see what happens. So it keeps going. It's a little long. Just roll with me. And David was the father of Solomon. We know that name. Solomon by the wife of Uriah. That's weird. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. If you don't know these names, you got to read them. They're so good. And the Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jezephat. And Jezephat, the father of Joram. Hang on. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jothan. And Jothan, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Ezekiah. And Ezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amos. Amos, the father of Josiah. Josiah, the father. Stop clapping. Just Listen, father of Jokon, you threw me off. I lost my line. We got to start all over. And his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon, almost there. And then, and after the, deport, the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shetiel. Shetiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Oh, that was fun. And Zerubbabel, the father of Obiad. And Obiad, the father of Elikalam. Elikalam, the father of Azar. Azar, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim the father of Eliza and the father of Mathan and Mathan, the father of Jacob, verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. You need a Bible. So what we were trying to say, this 
love story in the book of Ruth was actually not really about a love story. Or was it? It wasn't really about how to date someone. It wasn't really about godly characters in a man or a woman, though we found all of those things. It wasn't about how long do you wait to make a move. It wasn't about bad advice that some would argue Naomi gave. It wasn't about what the proposal looked like or having people involved or even having witnesses. It wasn't even ultimately about the kinsman redeemer. Those pieces just all played a part Actually, this story wasn't a love story of Ruth and Boaz. It actually was the story that helped change your life and my life. Because Boaz extended his hand to Ruth and because they had that son that the kinsman redeemer set up, that line was able to continue. The family line was able to continue. Do you think Leviticus and Deuteronomy might have been written that time to have something to do with this? Because Boaz stepped in and took Ruth, because they had that child, and many other families came between them, that was the line that led us ultimately to the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who's changed your life. Oh, it was a love story. But it really wasn't about Ruth and Boaz. They were just icing on the cake. It was about you and it was about me. Listen, if you ever wonder, does God really love me? Did God mean to make me? Does God want to use me? Am I significant? No one else seems to notice me. He has gone to the extremes, you and I. It's so extreme, we almost get bored reading about it. That's how far he went to not just create you, but to redeem you. And you know what a redeemer has to have? Do you remember the three things? Let's get it right. The redeemer must have the right, the resources, and they must be willing. Jesus had the right because he was the son of God. He lived the perfect life. And because he lived the perfect life, he also brought the resources that made a way to be the ultimate sacrifice to take all the sin of the world upon himself. And was he willing? Well, I don't know. He hung himself on a cross for you and me. I think the answer might be yes. Guys, listen. In this book, this book that you can leave on the shelf if you want. That's your choice. But in this book, every story, every, every moment in some way, shape, or form not only just leads us to Christ, but it reminds us of what he has done for us. You are so loved. And I don't care how your parents treat you. I don't care how your friends treat you. I don't care even how that church leader that ticked you off or, or made you question your faith because of how they treated you. I don't care about any of that and neither should you. The only thing that matters is that Jesus Christ went up on that cross for you because he loves you. And God loves you so much he made a way all the way from the beginning to link into this moment now so that you could hear and experience true redemption. So. For those of you that were like, <clears throat> really thought we were going to hear some relationship advice, your first advice you need to hear is that if you don't know who Jesus is and you haven't done anything with it, you don't need to be in a relationship, so you better break up now. Second advice, 
Finding a spouse is a journey, and it requires patience and trust in God. It's a journey, a journey, a journey. Enjoy the ride. And if you do it right, you'll enjoy the ride. Sure, is there going to be some heartache along the way? Sure. Are you going to make some mistakes? Are they going to make some mistakes? Absolutely. But hey, we're going to learn from those mistakes, right? You're going to look at that guy and be like, I'll never date someone like him again. You just gained a lot of wisdom in your future relationships. Praise the Lord. Well, it only lasted a few months. Great. It could have lasted a few years and still ended. I mean, we got to remember that this thing is a process. And, and, and we've said this a few times. Some of you are not in a relationship now because you don't need to be in one. Maybe you're not ready or maybe that person that's going to be isn't ready. Or maybe God's just not ready because he's got more to do with you. And he doesn't need you distracted by some bozo getting in the way. So this is a journey. It requires patience and trust in God. I also wanted to point out just for fun, a wedding is special, but it is not the most important thing. <laughs> Did you notice how long the wedding was? Four and a half chapters and then one verse. We're moving on. Our baby's already in the picture. All right. And the babies typically take nine months. Last time I checked. So, so let me say this to you. Um, a, a wedding is very significant because it's in that moment and in that place where you'll make that covenant with that person before God. That is the most important thing that will happen at your wedding, period. You can pick the best venue in the world. You can have the best wedding party. There's still going to be trouble. But anyways, you can have the best wedding party. You can have the most beautiful scenery. You can even pay some great orator to give the message at the thing, and it'll be epic. It'll probably miss God, but that's all right. That's your problem. And you can do all of these things. You can have the best food. You can have the best dancing. Your bridal party can put on a YouTube sensation dance. You can have all of those things, but it won't change what happens when that night's over. Why? Because what we learned in Ruth is it took four and a half chapters of development and building and preparation to be ready for that moment. And guess what? As fast as that moment came is as fast as that moment was gone. The covenant took place and the rest was history. Why? Because listen, your marriage and your life are about two things. The first one is about you discovering who God is. We call that your singleness. Once you discover who God is, you're usually ready to step into a relationship, and that's typically when it happens. Then you'll get married. It'll feel like an eternity, but it'll only last for one night. When that wedding is over, then you start the rest of your life, and guess what? The rest of your life is going to be built on you and your spouse living in a way that honors God and continues ministry on and to your friends, families, and coworkers, and then you're going to pop out a little one or maybe a couple, and some of you need to hold on because you ain't even ready to take care of yourself yet. But when you're ready, then you start popping out those little ones. All of a sudden, you've begun to move the family line ahead because here's the news flash. I don't know if you knew this, but your life is pretty short and God's plan's much bigger. And what happens in you is going to move through you if you'll let it. And God's plan's going to go far beyond you because it started well before you. And when you understand that, you might be a little closer to getting married. It was about who is God in your life? How am I going to live for him? And what am I going to leave for him? That's your kids. Whoa, man, this guy's terrible. I can't he just tell us how to find the perfect girl and be done with it. Because I want to help you with what matters most. Because listen, I have a gift in this church. I work in every ministry known to man. I do. From college, singles, single parents, marries, I have seen it all. And if I could bring the single parents in and line them up one by one, they'd all tell you a similar story. Some are unique, but a similar story. I wish I'd heard some of this stuff before I said I do. 
because I said I do before I was ready. And we paid the price. Here's the last thing. I want to help you in your marriages. Your marriage, I'm going to close my Bible so you believe me, I'm done. Your marriage is a covering. Your marriage is a covering given to you by God. Listen to this. I've, I've been on a broken record with this little, this little thought for a long time in a lot of different places. This is so important. When you were growing up, your parents or your guardians were your covering, right? So in a model home, okay, it's not always the case, but in a model home, mom was your nurturer and your manager and your lover. Man, she was the sensitive side, right, typically. Dad was your leader, your protector, Right? Sometimes a disciplinary, sometimes both. But essentially, we see these characteristics. Listen, when you get married, you leave from under the covering of your parent and you step into your spouse. And they become your covering and you become theirs. So men, you become the leaders and the protectors of your wife because they have left their parents behind. That's what Genesis told them to do. Leave your father and mother and cleave to your spouse. And ladies, you are now the lovers, the nurturers, the managers, because guys can't handle very much. You are all of these things, and you do this for each other. This is God's design. And so this is why we can't just look for the next hottest one to come across that maybe makes a little bit of money. I think we can make this work. We'll make beautiful kids. You have totally missed it. You got to ask yourself the question, am I ready to be the covering of my spouse? Because in God's economy, in this world, in human sense, if I fail the covering, my spouse is left unprotected. Ladies, are you ready to be the covering of that man? Because if you're not, y'all should probably take a break. Gentlemen, are you ready to be the covering of that woman? Because if not, you should take a break doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but if you don't understand that, you are probably not ready. What was Boaz? He was a leader, a protector, and I'll add a provider. And he did all of those things before there was anything coming his way. And then six weeks later, Ruth made the first move. I'm not saying that's what you need to do. Read that carefully. But you see how this works. Man, we love you guys, and we want to help you.